Thanks, Bernadette. Okay, Ash Wednesday. Let's uh, try and put some language to that. Uh, if you're Catholic, you're like, we don't need any language. Or if you're Episcopalian, you're saying, we don't need any language on uh, Ash Wednesday. But if you got an evangelical background or no church background, it's like, Ash, what? And what is that all about? Uh, a brief, uh, I don't really want to... Uh, expand on that too much because really the practical aspect is if this applies to you, if you know what it's about, if you're into this, uh, Wednesday come to church here for Bernadette's um, noontime, uh, uh, you know, we're going to focus on Ash Wednesday at noontime here at church. But, uh, you know, about 900 AD, so this is not uh, a new uh, thing, but it's also not something that was started in the church Fathers, or it's not a scripture verse that you're going to find Ash Wednesday. But like 900 AD, uh, the church leaders were saying, wait a minute, you know, there's uh, something interesting with uh, the Greek language and with the Hebrew language. And there's a symbol in each one of these uh, languages which has a cross-like shape. And they said, okay, why don't we use that and also... uh, uh, Looking at some of the scriptures that says, uh, you know, on your forehead you would be marked, uh, Revelation, uh, even in uh, in our book of uh, Ephesians where we, we got the seal. Uh, and so they said, okay, we'll put the mark of the cross on the forehead on Ash Wednesday, calling it Ash Wednesday, which would be the start of a season building up to Easter. So 40 days uh, before Easter, and this became a, a church tradition. So, you know, again, evangelicals are like skeptical. It's like, show me the verse in the Bible. And it's like, well, there isn't one. It was a tradition. But it is a good tradition. It's like, how do we get our hearts ready for Easter? And how do we get the most out of Easter? So, uh, you know, wherever you lie on that spectrum, uh, I would encourage you to start preparing for Easter. I mean, I think there's something uh, valuable about uh thinking about the work of what Christ did on the cross and the resurrection, Easter Sunday. And if the first time you think about that is Easter Sunday or Palm Sunday, uh, you kind of lose a lot. But if you're able to uh, think about Christ, the significance of the cross, uh, that's beneficial. So in that vein, we decided this year uh, to do a, a fast starting on Ash Wednesday. Now, this is what we call a Daniel fast. This would be uh, sort of in the category of long and slow, but not that difficult, versus another kind of fast, which would be like you don't drink, you don't eat, but it's for, you know, one day, two day, or three days. This one, it's like you just don't eat meat, you don't drink red wine, or you don't drink wine, no uh, fancy foods, just, you know, vegetables and vegetables and vegetables and you know, like Janine Panicelli, she's saying, well, what's new about that? I've been doing that for like four or five years. What's wrong with you people? Like, why do you eat meat? I'm like, I like meat. So I'm going to give up my meat for, you know, 21 days. Uh, totally up to you. But here's some, you know, here's some thoughts of why you, you might want to join us in a fast. Well, let me start off with why you, you shouldn't do a fast. You shouldn't do a fast to try and earn any significance with God. This is not uh, trying to earn favor with God. You know, uh, Paul has been pretty uh, outspoken in his letters 
about this whole concept of trying to earn favor with God. And a lot of Paul's writing would be like, you know, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to eat Jewish, uh, you know, ritual foods. He said, you, you don't do that. And you don't even observe holidays like the, the Jewish holidays to try and earn favor with God. So if the motive is to try and earn favor with God, fasting is not going to work. It's also not going to work if you want to try and manipulate God. Now, you would never use that word, but we do it. Like we say, okay, God, I'll fast, and I'm going to be really, really good, and I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to be really, really holy, and then, therefore you owe me one. And what you owe me is like, you need to like bless what I really want to get out of you. So I'm going to, you know, that's called like spiritual manipulation. Let me tell you, it, it, God doesn't fall for that trick. It's like you just can't manipulate God into doing it. So you're not trying to earn favor, and you're not going to try and manipulate God, you know, uh, through your very, like, holy living, and God's just like, no. But he had a whole bunch of good reasons to, to fast. Uh, typically, we're asking God for some help. Like we're saying, God, you know, I, I need help with direction. Uh, for your career, or you, you're trying to make a big choice in life, like who you're going to marry, or something. You say, God, you know, I need some, like, help me. Give me some insight. Give me some revelation. Give me some uh, wisdom that I don't have. Uh, or you might just be uh, stuck. You're just desperate. Like, God, I, I've tried everything. I'm stuck. I, I need divine intervention. I'm asking you for, for some help. Uh, or you might be in mourning. Uh, mourning because of something that's bad has happened, or mourning because something bad is about to happen. Like, you know, uh, typically in, in Daniel's case, it's like, okay, I saw this uh, vision and it was really, really bad. And it's like, God, oh no, please. You know, or a country about to enter into war. It's like, oh no, please. I, I, I mean, mourning in advance. So you're asking God for divine intervention would be one thing. Uh, another reason uh, why you might want to fast uh, is you're asking God, you're saying, God, I know you're always at work, but how can I be part of it? Show me what you're doing. I, I, I want in, and I, I'm spiritually dull. I don't see, I don't hear, and I'm asking for, like, you know, spiritual eyes or ability to just see what it is that you're doing. I, I want to be in on what you're doing. Uh, another reason you might uh, want to fast uh, is just to really focus on Easter, saying, okay, I want to focus on the cross. I want to see what the significance of that is. And then when Easter comes, uh, I would have done a lot of uh, sort of house cleaning internally, and now I can celebrate uh, more significantly with, with Christ. Uh, and, and in that category, I would say it's helpful to both fast and read one of the Gospels. And you're just going through the gospel and you're asking God to speak to you uh, through the gospel uh, during the season building up to Easter. Uh, another reason to fast, and you, you choose which one uh, you want, but for me this would be a, a high value to fast. And I guess for many of you it's say that's just like no interest for me at all. But for me a high reason to fast, I want to see people uh, get saved. I mean for me what church should look like on a regular basis, I'm not talking about like occasional basis, I'm talking about on a regular basis, that people would come to know Christ. Uh, I, I mean, for us that live in the, the Northeast, this is like an unusual thing. If you live down, you know, in the Midwest, uh, uh, it's like normal. You know, if, you, if I talk to pastors in the Midwest, they're like, 
you know, I have like 10, 20 people every Sunday that receive Christ. Uh, you know, what are you doing wrong there, Rob? I mean, do you not ask people to receive Christ? Do you not talk about Christ? Uh, what do you do in church anyway? And I'm like, okay, uh, we need spiritual breakthrough. There was a time when uh, it was the, the reverse. You know, lots of great things in our history were happening in Boston. And uh, there was plenty of spiritual renewal and activity. And now it just like isn't that much. Now, fasting and praying uh, is, a is a spiritual tool which helps us in that regard. So for me, that would be a, a big uh, reason. And uh, lastly, uh, if uh, none of those have hooked you, I, I mean, uh, hopefully you found some reason to fast. Uh, but lastly, I would say, what about fasting for our church, for our church's well-being, for our church's unity, for our church's health? Uh, you know, what we're saying is, God, you know, we need you to do things that we can't do. Or we try to do, but the harder we try, the more we mess it up. And so today I actually want to talk about unity. Uh, and uh, unity is a great thing. Uh, it's a great thing. When you experience unity, you, you're experiencing blessing. Uh, and when you're not experiencing unity, you know it. Uh, the, the problem with unity is the more you focus on unity the more it's like you realize, wait, unity is a byproduct. Uh, you know, if you try and focus on unity for unity's sake, it, it, it's, it's pretty challenging. So uh, if you've got, uh, well, let's just look at unity from a few different perspectives. Uh, we could say that our country, United States, is not very unified in political uh, opinion and spectrum at the moment. I don't think too many people would disagree with that. You would say, no, uh, and there's a sense of it just doesn't feel good. It feels uneasy. We're like we just we're not uni unified. Uh, that's on a you know national basis. Uh, what about family? Like Thanksgiving, Christmas. Uh, how do you feel? Is the unity in your family, or what about just forget about Thanksgiving? Your own local family. Uh, how's your relationship with your kids? Uh, is the unity? And uh, it's like, okay, uh, if there is, you know you're in a blessed state. And if you don't experience unity, you know the tension that that creates. And yet, you know, you can't exactly phone your brother, your sister, or, you know, your kids and say, look, we need unity. Let's work on unity. Now, they might say, like, let's work on having a good meal. And the kid's like, well, all right, I'll show up for a good meal, you know, or uh, something else. But uh, unity is... A great byproduct when things are uh, going well. But we did experience unity. Remember this a few weeks ago? Tremendous unity. Tremendous unity. Everybody was happy. Strangers were talking to each other. People from like opposite ends of the political divide were like hugging each other. I mean, for like two weeks, no, a week, we had like complete unity. I mean, and happiness. It was just amazing. So when we experience unity, like we all just look at you, you're smiling. It's like, hey, we're happy. Like, we like unity. And we know when we have unity, we experience it. It's fun. It's joy. And when we don't, we also know it. So uh, what I want you to get uh, out of the sermon today really is just valuing unity and uh, being in line with what Jesus is saying where we want to love each other and we want to uh, be loving towards others. Uh, and as a result, we'll have unity. That's easier said than done. 
but uh, let me open in prayer. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that uh, you'd speak to each one of us today. Uh, show us what it is that uh, we need to do. What's our part in uh, being an agent for unity in our family, uh, but particularly in our church? Uh, what role do you want each one of us to play? How can we be more like you, uh, be more loving and more giving? Uh, so, Lord, I just lift up uh, the service uh, to you this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I, I, I want to be looking at Ephesians as we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. And as I've titled this uh, series, Be Blessed, and uh, Be Blessed Today uh, Through Unity. And I want to read uh, to you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Therefore I, a prisoner, this is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making, allowances, uh, making allowance for each other's faults because of your, because of your love. And then verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, united. <clears throat> now I'm going to read it again. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other and making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. I mean, make every effort. This is strong language. To keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together <clears throat> with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in, in, in all and living through all. And uh, then I want to jump down to Ephesians uh, 4, 15. I'd like to read it all, but um, I want to point out some uh, verses here. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Uh, so you see that uh, Paul puts a high value on unity and on making every effort that we experience unity. And we do it because we're doing it out of the, the generous heart of love uh, that we've experienced through Christ. And through that experience, we be transformed. We start doing things that uh, are not necessarily natural for us to do, which is to have patience with people and to love people and to you know, seek after other people's best interests as opposed to our own. Uh, but uh, let's just uh, look at seeing the value of unity. If you've got a bulletin insert and you like to follow along, uh, I want to talk about the value of unity, and I want to point out that 
being in unity is kind of normal living. You know, if you go home in the evening and you and your family gather together and, and you have normal conversation and normal dialogue, that's normal. It's dysfunctional when you go home and, you know, you're fighting and next night you come home and you're fighting and the next night you come home and only half the family's there. And that's like some people just live in such dysfunction for so long that they forget what normal looks like. I'm saying that normal is people love each other and you get along with each other and you enjoy being with each other. That, that's normal. I'm just like pointing out the obvious that this shouldn't be such a shock, you know, uh, to uh, experience normal uh, unity. Uh, what I do want to emphasize again is how big a deal Paul thinks unity is. In this book of Ephesians, uh, he's looking at uh, unity from many different aspects. Uh, I want to talk about unity in the church, which is what I've just read in verse uh, 15 and 16. But Ephesians also talks about unity at home. It talks about unity in the workplace. And then more interestingly, or interestingly, it talks about unity as we come against uh, the enemy or unity as we come against uh, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. This way the, the book ends. So Paul is saying, look, we should be united or we should experience unity in many different ways. And I think the best way to kind of grasp this uh, in terms of practicality is Jesus' statement, which is, you know, do to others as you, as you would like them to do to you. You know, if we treat others the way we'd like to be treated, just as Jesus said, I mean, it's just like such a simple line. Do to others the way you'd like them to do to you. I mean, just love others the way you'd like them to love you. It's not complicated, but it's difficult. Because uh, we want to all be loved. We all want to be understood. We all want to be, you know, all our quirks. We need people to accept them. But uh, we're not always so generous in passing it on. Like, we don't overlook other people's faults and other people's quirks. And we just want gracious and generous and loving uh, action towards ourselves, which is, uh, you know, our human nature. But unity requires two things. One is truth, and the other is love, or expressed in a different way, grace. So, you know, we have to have unity over, like, what is actually true, and what is the fact pattern. But on the other hand, just hammering home truth to people can be brutal. Uh, you know, pointing, or, or let me say it differently, pointing out people's faults or sin or, you know, how people have hurt you and just pointing it out over and over again is brutal. I mean, it might be truthful, but truth without love is just like hurtful. Uh, so we need these two components where it's both truthful and it's loving, or there's a huge amount of grace. Uh, so if you have an NIV Bible or the New King James Bible in, uh, in John, 1 John, it's like Jesus was full of truth and grace. I mean, Jesus is our model because he could do both. He could say, look, I, I can point out your problems, I can point out your sin, and I can love you simultaneously. Uh, I can explain exactly, or Jesus can explain exactly what you need, point it out, and try and change you uh, from within with the Holy Spirit, uh, and be loving in it. Now, we as humans, we can be great on truth side, and we can just like clobber people over the head until they like 
you know, knocked out. Or, or we can be like, just like, I just want to be all grace and, you know, just ignore the truth and just like a big pushover softy. And it's like, yeah, right. But, you know, truth is important too. Uh, I mean, Jesus is, is truth. So we need both. And it's, a, and, and it's uh, an art form to be both uh, tr- truthful and loving, especially when dealing uh, with others or confronting others or uh, dealing with your kids. Uh, you know, how do you keep the pedal of I love you, I want to be for you, but at the same time I need to correct you or if you're on the receiving end, how do you receive correction and receive love simultaneously? Not easy, not easy. But we have it modeled to us uh, by God. We have it modeled to us in, you know, stepping back a, sec, a bit here, we have it modeled to us in theology, in the Trinity. Uh, just, just think about the Trinity for a second. In fact, um, let me just read Ephesians 4.4. 4. Look at this in terms of uh, unity in the Trinity. 4.4. 4. Uh, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called uh, to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God the Father, uh, who is over all and living and through all. And then it says, however, he has given each of us a special gift uh, through the generosity of Christ. But in the Trinity, we have like God the Father promoting Jesus. You know, so Jesus, like you created everything. Nothing was created without Jesus creating it. It's like, who's getting all the glory? Jesus. I mean, the Father is quite willing to say, Jesus, you get all the glory. On the other hand, uh, Jesus is quite willing to give the Holy Spirit all the glory. It's like, hey guys, listen, I'm going to disappear, but what you really need is not me, Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave, and when I leave, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then you get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is promoting Jesus. Like everywhere you know, the Spirit is doing, so follow Jesus, be like Jesus. I mean, the Trinity uh, is really interesting from that perspective. I mean, God decided that he wanted to be in relationship with himself. And uh, that relationship is going to look like everybody promoting the other person. Nowhere do you see in the Trinity like, oh, you know, God the Father saying, oh, shucks, you know, uh, Jesus is getting a little bit too much attention. Uh, or, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, you know, he does all the power stuff, all the cool stuff. And, you know, I, that's just not right. I, I should get the glory for that. I'm the Father. You, you, you don't see that. You see everybody just like building up the other in the Trinity. Uh, it's an amazing model for us. And yet there's something for us to take home in that. Because remember, Christ is expecting us to become more and more like him. It's a lifelong journey, which on the one hand is discouraging because we never get there. But on the other hand, it's very encouraging because every time we do something, it becomes a little bit more like Christ. There's a huge blessing to us and to others. And God is saying, I want you to keep moving. Be, keep coming to be more and more like Christ. And in this aspect, become more and more loving. Be more and more giving. Be more and more filled with truth. Be more and more able to handle the truth when you've been given the truth, to handle it in love. So God has given us uh, an example. And of course, Jesus being the supreme example in the Trinity because he was actual blood and flesh. We could actually, you know, see him. He's a historical person. He's uh, not just a spirit. And yet we look at Jesus and we say, okay, here's somebody that we're supposed to model. He wasn't like always all gushy and soft and loving and caring. I mean, he 
said to people, you brood of vipers. And I'm sure he didn't whisper it in a nice gentle voice. Oh, you brood of vipers. No, I'm sure he was mad at them. Or, you know, how about the other one? You bunch of whitewashed tombs. I mean, you look pretty on the outside, but you're disgusting inside. You're rotten. You're smelly. I mean, you know, harsh statements. And not just, you didn't just talk harsh. I mean, you know, you remember he turned the tables upside down, the money changes. I'm sure he ripped those tables apart and, and, you know, created quite a commotion. Uh, You wouldn't say gentle Jesus, you know, he's so peaceful and loving. No, I mean, he got mad. And uh, so we've got to understand this, you know, tension. Like when evil, when we're confronted with evil or major wrongdoing, there is the appropriate response is to have a less than gentle uh, reaction. Uh, And if we look at the Apostle Paul, who's definitely not Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul was like incredible. But I mean, think of him. He started off as a murderer, and you talk about somebody that like had a strong personality. I mean, he was driven from the day he was born until the day he died. And uh, before he became, you know, uh, converted to Christ, he was just, looking for Christians to kill him. When he gets converted from Christ, he's like, now I want to tell the whole world how great Christ is. And he was on a mission. And if you weren't with him, man, he just like told you to get off. Like John Mark, hey, you want to go on a mission trip with me? Get out of my way, John Mark. No time for this. You know, he's like on a mission. And you think his feelings weren't hurt? John Mark, they were, they were hurt. I mean, Paul was like confronting Peter. He's like, you know, uh, now again, <laughs> If we look at church life, man, it's a, it's a weird bunch. It's a weird mixture. You know, they love the proverb that says, if you want like total tranquility and perfect peace in church, there's a proverb that says, yeah, it's like having a bull in the stable. Just like get rid of the bull. I mean, get rid of that bull and like it'll be totally clean. It's just like there's no mess to clean up. It's nice. Dead, but nice. Peaceful, very peaceful, like a graveyard. Nice, just dead. Or you can have like oxen and it makes a big mess and you've got to work and people are at each other and there's life. You know, I can't think of a better, like, I don't know, I just like Paul. I like his personality. I like the way that he's willing to go places and uh, further the gospel. I would have loved to have hung out with Paul. I would have liked to have gone on some of those trips. I would have liked to have hung out with Jesus. Uh, But I don't for a moment think that would have been easy. I mean, they would have been like arguing about like where to go and how to go and how best to do it. And, you know, uh, there would be a lot of like dialogue and conference, uh, confrontation and discussion. But it's in the context of like, hey, patriots, we want to win this thing. You know, we all got a role to play. Some of you are going to be offense. Some of you are going to be defense. You know, some of you are going to be special teams. Some of you are just going to sit around and like, you know, cheer somebody else on in case somebody gets like killed and I'll go and play. But, you know, you, you're all like wanting to win the game in your own capacity. And in a similar way, uh, you know, when you're in church, when you're in the team, man, we all got a role to play. Uh, it, it might be, uh, there might be tension at times, but that's okay if we can work it out and we can get through it. At the same time, you're going to experience, experience unity in God's love when we move forward as a church, uh, and when you play a role in some capacity in church, it's extremely rewarding. Just like, you know, you might be only the kicker on the Patriots team, but if you can kick a thing through the goals, uh, that might be a few seconds of, uh, you know, playtime, but it's very important. Likewise in church, the best thing you can do is be part of the team. 
get involved, be playing. But in the meantime, uh, you have to deal with, uh, you know, different people's visions, different people's opinions, uh, different people's giftings. Somebody that's gifted to, you know, uh, teach is going to have a whole different role uh, for somebody that wants to be an evangelist, uh, and it's going to be a whole different role to somebody that wants to be a prophet. And, you know, if you wound to be a prophetic type, uh, you might get a little bored with people that are going to be, you know, teachers or pastors. Uh, but you'll be invigorated and excited when you hang out with other people that are prophets. Or uh, you want to go serve the community and make a difference in Milford or in Hopkinton? Get together with people who want to make a difference. It's great. But if that's not your bent, then you'll find people that say, hey, let's go out and uh, face paint in the in community. You'll say, that's just like so weird. I, you know, I don't want to face paint. I just want to be a prophetic voice or I want to teach Bible study. I don't want to go out and paint people's faces. How the heck is that going to make a difference? You know, but for people that gifted that way, they see how it makes a difference. Remember what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he has this incredible teaching of Jesus, hard to even digest. He says, blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Some people just have that gifting. Uh, we're all called to be humble. We're all called to be peacemakers. But, you know, I don't look at the Apostle Paul, for instance, and think, man, he has the most humble guy in the world, and he's got the gift of being a peacemaker. I mean, I look at the Apostle Paul and say, man, you've got the gift of being an apostle and of being an evangelist and being some little confront. And I'm sure he was also, you know, uh, more than plenty able in the other capacities. But some people are more called or gifted or wired to be peacemakers. I mean, we've got two great examples in this church. We've got Bernadette and, and John Gargan. They just like wired that way. They just like, they don't like conflict. No conflict, just like sort it out. You know, I, I want to get, they just want to get people through. I mean, if you're hurting and you want like lots of compassion, you're not going to come speak to me. You're going to go speak to Bernadette and you're going to like talk to her and she's going to talk to you and she's going to listen to you and she'll listen to you and she'll hug you. And, you know, you'll come to me and it's like, yo, your five minutes is up. Are you feeling better? Nope. Okay, I'm sorry. I did everything I could. I mean, you know, some people just wired with, with compassion and, and, and humility and, and thank goodness we have them. Thank goodness, we're not all the same. I mean, can you imagine if we were all wired like Bernadette? We'd be just like those Labrador puppies. We'd be licking each other all day long. <laughs> that would be great. You know, we are called uh, to be peacemakers. And uh, I don't know, maybe uh, the church should not be uh, a bunch of union workers, but we should be a bunch of unity workers. I mean, there's something where we should be, like, wired for unity. You know, we, we're just trying to, like, figure out our differences, get on with each other, see the best for each other, see what, why people are wired the way they are and kind of help them and promote them to uh, do, what they do what they can do best. The abnormal part of church, which is the human part, is we're going to run into conflict, and when we do, we experience pain. And when we experience pain, we quit. We leave. And we don't learn anything from it. And if I've heard John Gargan tell me once, I've heard John Gargan tell me a hundred times. He said, if we could just work through our pain and get to the other side, we will learn so much from it. Uh, we'll be so much better for it. We'll understand each other so much better. But you have to kind of go through. 
You know, and honestly, that's the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord and the way of the Holy Spirit isn't, okay, let me just quit church. Let me just quit my family. Let me just quit, you know, America. Let me just go some other place and, uh, you know, and start again and just like, no, it's in and through. And the, the promise of the Holy Spirit is, I won't abandon you. Uh, he won't also allow you to just like disappear. The way through is, I will hold your hand. I will put my arm around your shoulder and we'll go through this conflict together. And we will probably get beaten up together. But when we get through on the other side, we will be a whole lot better. We'll be whole. And I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. But it's going through. Uh, I've used this analogy before. If you want to sit around a a fire and have a real hot fire, you need a lot of logs. You take one log off, it just starts like getting cold. And finally it just goes out. You quit church. You leave church because everybody's annoying you, including the preacher. Uh, You just like that hot coal. It's just like it's cold. If you want to be on fire for God, if you want to see spiritual life in you, you want to be part of the fire. You want to be one of those logs that's on the fire. You want to be burning for the Lord, you know, adding to the, the fuel. Uh, that's normal Christianity. Uh, let, me, uh, let, me, let me finish this way. Uh, church is many different things, and we all come here for many different reasons in many different states. And to expect unity is actually a miracle right there. I mean, we got kids coming to church from the day they're born, and we expect, you know, a five-year-old to have a positive church experience. I expect an 85-year-old uh, to also have a positive church experience. Now, I can promise you what you communicate to a five-year-old and what you communicate to an 85-year-old is a little different. And yet we're trying to do all of that at one time in this building, you know, in the short time that we get together. It's not just age difference. It's like race difference. Uh, it's not just race difference. It's different cultures from different places. Uh, and you kind of get all smooshed together. And we, you, we're supposed to all like understand each other and understand each other's customs and their backgrounds and, you know, be graceful and forgiving I mean, think of it. It's like an impossible thing. Uh, you probably wouldn't be hanging around uh, with a group of people like in this room today at any other time. Most of the time, you'll hang around people that are like-minded, you know, like your little echo chamber. It's like, you know, if you don't like my belief in politics, you quickly find somebody that does believe in your view of politics, and then you say something, and they say something back, and you agree with them, and they agree with you, and then you agree with them, and you're just like such a happy little crowd, and then you go speak to somebody else, and they agree with something different. Like, oh, bad people, get rid of them, you know. But, but no, in church, it's like, we don't want to be an echo chamber. We want to be, like hear different people's views, and we want to experience Christ from a different perspective and we want to be you know supporting and challenging those that are down and out we want to be supporting and challenging those that are up and doing great I mean we want to be helpful for wherever people are at Uh, we want to be encouraging people in whatever gift they got and whatever stage of life they're in whether they're experiencing a funeral or mourning or break up in the family or whether they're expect you know expecting a new kid and and celebrating kids birthday parties, it's all, it's all those things, all the time, all simultaneously. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, 
people from all different financial statuses, different opinions, different political views. Talking about uh, different football teams, remember the, those of you that have been around for a while, there was that T-shirt that came out, Catholics versus convicts. Who, who remembers that? Anybody? One, two, three, five, six, seven. Okay, seven of you get that one. Catholics versus convicts. What was that all about? Well, Miami, the Miami Hurricanes, this is college football, Lou Holtz, uh, playing against Notre Dame. Notre Dame, like they were really good, Jimmy Johnson and uh, Lou Holtz, uh, Jimmy Johnson from uh, Florida, and they were like the convicts. And so the Catholics, Notre Dame, they, they came up and said, hey, a whole bunch of the guys in that football team, they got like convicted of this and got convicted of that. And Notre Dame were like, you know, we super like, we Catholic, we really super holy. So Catholic versus convicts. And it was a great T-shirt and a cordon. And, you know, it became like, oh my gosh, can you imagine the rivalry after that? It was so bad that they'd break it up. It's like, just get these two guys in different conferences. It's like, they're going to kill each other. But yeah, uh, you know, if football becomes so crazy, uh, yeah, we've got to figure out how do we do church. I mean, there's just so many conflicting and pulling interests, but we all agree, of course. Now, if you don't agree on the Patriots, uh, you know, I don't know what to do for you. I, I just like have no grace for you, no grit for you, but if you want to... But we all agree on the Patriots, so that's why we're just like happy church. And if you don't... Look, we want to, as a we want to, as a church. Uh, the focus, funny enough, isn't unity. The focus is Jesus. As we focus on Jesus, we get unity. The more we're in agreement with who Jesus is and desiring to be more like Him and working in the way God has created you and me, each uniquely and each differently. As we each do our own thing, trying to uh, live for Christ, we become in in unity. Uh, and there's a blessing uh, when we find our place. And we can uh, worship Christ and we can live for Christ and we do it with others that are totally different, with totally different gifting, totally different ages, totally different cultural backgrounds. And we all do the same thing where we live for Christ and we live to do it in community, being the church. Uh, yeah, let me just uh, uh, let me just end there. Jesus, I, I just thank you that you are the magic source like that just holds us all together, that makes... Uh, you know, church exciting and spicy and uh, rich and uh, alive. Uh, so, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for each person here today. Uh, each person here today, Lord, is a blessing. And we all come with a different perspective and different views and uh, different hurts and different backgrounds. And we all have different expectations. But, Lord, we want to be united in focusing on you. We want to be united in asking you for help, in asking you for our direction, in asking you to build us up. Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would change us from within, that you'd knock off the edges on us which are rough and allow us to be built up in you, that we can experience the rich and rewarding life which you've promised us, Jesus. And we thank you for your church. We thank you that you died for your church. And Lord, we thank you that there are people in this church that are different to us, that think differently, that challenge us. And Lord, we thank you for the people that love us and support us and encourage us and build us up and pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your church. And Lord, I just pray for your people. 
as we leave here today, that your spirit would be thick on them, that they would experience your love. And Lord, I just pray even now that we would be able to enter into your worship. And as we worship you, Lord, the things of heaviness fall off us. Lord, as we focus on you, you fill us with your light. You give us your spirit. You lighten our load. You put joy in our step that we can leave here different from the way we came in. So Lord, allow us to worship you. Allow us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.